You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. So if we were to go around, if I were to ask you, if we were to go on the streets, what are the top most quoted Bible verses? If we were to go to the streets, what are the most well-known scripture verses out of the Holy Bible? And so I need two volunteers. No, I won't do it this morning, right? But if you had two volunteers come up here and they had one hand behind their back, hand over the buzzer, most quoted scripture verses. B, what would you guys think are up there? John 3, six, bing, is it up there? Let's find out, family feud friends. You ready? Bzz. John 3, 16, you got it, okay. We go to the other family. You have an opportunity to steal. Can you name another scripture verse, right? Philippians 4, 13? Philippians, oh, close. I was going to say Philippians 4, 8. You were close, so you're in there, right? You are in there. There's another one, though, and I guarantee you nobody would get it, but you all know it. There's another one there that you guys would be sitting here and you're like, okay, what is it? What am I going to do? Ah, I don't know. And you've heard it, but you don't know that you've heard it. Friends, one of the most oft quoted, more than John 3.16, more than Philippians 4.8, more than Philippians 4.13, one of the most commonly quoted scripture verses in the world, Matthew 7.1, thou shall not judge. They actually misquote it. It says this, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not. Thou shalt not judge. Have you heard this one before? Have you quoted this one before? Have you been quoted this one too before? Yeah. You see, last week we're in this series called Reconciled, and we learned last week that Jesus calls us to lovingly confront one another when we see each other straying off of the path of Christ. God has saved us. He's brought us into his family. He puts us on this path, and we're walking for him, right? Remember this? We're walking for him, but sometimes, often, sin lures and entices us away, right? All of us are uniquely susceptible in our own ways, James said, with our own desires. We are uniquely susceptible to the allure of temptation and sin, and when we step off of the path and start to wander, Jesus says you need to bring each other's faults into the light. 
And so last week we talked about how grateful we are for those who can speak the truth to us. How grateful we are for those who can call us back and give us the sobering splash of truth in the face when we are wandering and lost. Remember, friends, God uses us to advance the construction zone in me. God uses in us to advance his plan of sanctification in you. And so we are a part of the rescue mission in each other's lives. Sounds easy, doesn't it? How many of you left here last week going, oh, it's that easy? Now I know how to confront my brother or sister when they're wandering, right? Three easy steps. Well, how hard can it be? Right? Easier said than done. There are times in our lives, let's be real, there are times in our life where we start to confront someone else. There are times in our life where you start to confront me or I confront you, whatever it is. We try to call each other back onto the path. We confront someone about an area in their life that Jesus would call sin. We start to identify, hey, brothers, my sister, I love you. But this seems to be inconsistent with the ways of Christ. And as soon as we get into that conversation, we throw up the T, we get defensive, we go, whoa, 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 hey, don't judge me. Whoa, 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 hey, 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 thanks, but God knows my heart. Or my personal favorite, we throw the stiff arm, we call the time out, and we say, whoa, 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 hey, don't you remember? Only God can judge me. Meaning, thank you, but you have no right to inspect my life. You have no right to confront me and point out my areas of weakness. Only God gets to point out sin in my life. Only God gets to confront me like this. After all, Matthew 7, 1. So how do we do what Jesus told us to do last week and yet not violate what he says not to do this week? You see, this happened to me about a decade ago. And so my wife and I, we had a friend, really good friend, a sister, fellow follower of Jesus in our community group, in our home regularly, okay? And she was single. And so those of you, maybe you're my age, I'm 32, you know that if you're, I mean, any age really, but at my age, being single, like we said last week, there are areas of your life that are unique challenges. And so being single comes with its unique challenges. And so our friend, right, she's over for, for dinner, and she goes, Sam, Jordan, I just met this guy, we've been dating for the last couple of weeks, and I'm so excited. And we were just like, let's go. You know, my wife is like always trying to play matchmaker with everybody, you know. She's like, let's go. This sounds exciting. Who is he? And she goes, no, no, you wouldn't know him. He doesn't go to our church. I go, oh, okay. Well, like, which church does he go to? When do I get? Actually, he doesn't go to church. Um, and he didn't even grow up in church. And he's not a believer. Um, but so you, you probably will never meet him until, you know, whatever. And I just said, okay. And now we have a moment. Is she sinning? No, this is not sin. I would not put this in the category of sin, but we just said, hey, this is not a sin thing, but in, as far as wisdom is concerned, is this a good idea? We're just asking, what does the Bible say about this? Does scripture speak to this situation at all? You know, he's going to have different values than you, different beliefs, right? And she goes, no, no, it's okay. He doesn't believe, but he's extremely supportive of my beliefs, and so it's fine. Okay. Uh, we'll have to watch that one, but we pray. Okay, how's it going? Several weeks later, hey, I'm really pumped. I'm going on a trip. We're going to go camping. Me and my boyfriend, blah, blah. And I go, oh, you're going on a camp? Well, it's just us going camping. 
all right, well, hey, sister, I'm not trying to be nosy, but you're a follower of Jesus. You've already made it very clear. We have a relationship that you have certain practices, certain ethics that you want to hold to, certain values that are near and dear to your heart. How is that going to work if you're just alone on a camping trip with your boyfriend? Isn't that like putting yourself in a hard situation? And she goes, well, I should just tell you guys now. We're already sleeping together, but it's not a big deal. I feel closer to God than I've ever been, and so I think it's okay. All right, now, like we learned last week, we now have a responsibility, right? As fellow followers of Jesus, we need to recognize she feels so strongly in her heart, right? Her feelings are so inflamed that she goes, that must be God. And as fellow followers of Jesus, we say, hey, that might be the allure of sin and temptation that makes you feel like it's God. And so we just go, hey, sister, we love you. There's no judgment. I'm no better than you. But you said you want to be a follower of Jesus. Here are his ways. Could this possibly be a blind spot? Could this possibly be a deviation from the path that you've published? I baptized you. You were there. Like, could this be? And that's when she went, she threw it up and she dropped the line. She said, you have no right to confront me. I thought you loved me. Why are you judging me? Only God can judge me. What do we do? What do we do, friends? Was she right? I mean, she's quoting scripture, isn't she? Is she right? Was was I doing something wrong? Were my wife and I disobeying Jesus by seeking to lovingly correct her and to call her back to the path? Were we being judgmental by trying to show her that there's an area of her life that might not be pleasing to God? So now I'm all confused. I mean, last week, Jesus said, bring it into the light. In love, confront one another. Right, we even looked at Paul. Paul seemed to say the same thing. Remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians 5.12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So last week, judge each other, hold each other accountable, confront. And now this week, he's saying, judge not. What do we do? See, these are the questions that we're not scared to ask. Because we know that the truth of scripture can withstand scrutiny. Okay, we're not that kind of church that goes, ah, just ignore the seeming discrepancy, la, 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 just don't think too hard about it, so that way your faith isn't in jeopardy. We say, if this is real, then it better withstand the test of scrutiny. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we do it? To judge or not to judge? To confront or not to confront? To call each other out or to mind our own business because it's nunya? How do we do this? And so we're going to dive into Matthew 7, and as we dive into it, we need to understand that the key to understanding it is context. It's all about context. Matthew 7 is right at the end of the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in human history. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, maybe circle that, you can go back and read it later. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is uh, speaking primarily about hypocrisy. He says, don't give, don't pray, and don't fast like a hypocrite. Okay? He's not telling us not to give, pray, and fast. He's just showing us how to do it. And so in the same way, when we get to chapter 7, he's not saying don't hold your sister accountable, don't confront your brother in love, don't approach each other on sin. No, he's just teaching us how to do it. And so this is a continuation of last week's sermon where we're going to ask the question, how do we confront sin in each other's lives? 
How would Jesus have us offer correction to our brothers? What should you do when you need to hold your sisters accountable? How do we do this? And for the next few moments, Jesus gives us three principles. Matthew chapter 7, and it begins like this. Let's take a look. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6 says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. All right, this is God's word for our church this morning. So we just like to go back to the beginning, and we're going to break it down verse by verse, and hopefully we understand it better than when we came in. So let's look at it again. Verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, pause there. We all have our areas where we are uniquely susceptible to temptation, right? We talked about that last week. There are times where every single one of us in this room where we are tempted to step off the path, where we do step off the path, where we linger and wander. And we, by the grace of God, hopefully... Heaven to us. We have people around us who can call us back, who can speak the truth to us, okay? But here's what Jesus says. When you're having those conversations, when you come to your brother or your sister to gently confront them on their sin, Jesus makes it clear, judge not. You see, friends, there is a difference between confronting me on my sin and condemning me for my sin. Right? There is a difference between approaching me with loving confrontation and approaching me with strict condemnation. And so when Paul, when Paul says, hey, judge those within the family, he's using it in the former. He's saying confront those in the family. Hold each other accountable. But when Jesus uses the word conf- uh, judge here, he's using it in the second sense. An overly critical approach. Severe and harsh condemning, right? This is what you think of when you hear the word judgmental. He's talking about a judging that results in being judgmental. So the first thing we need to do here before we approach one another, we need to check our hearts. You need to check your heart. Are you coming to your brother to confront or to condemn? And so here's how we know the difference, okay? If I'm confronting you, if you're confronting me, right, your heart will be filled with love. I love you. Your sin will wreck you. Please come back. If I'm condemning you, my heart will be filled with anger. I want to wreck you. See the difference? If I'm confronting you, my face, I will be shedding tears for the well-being of your soul. If I'm condemning you, my face will have this smile that that says, hmm, I have something on you now. See the difference? If I'm confronting you, my words will be very clear, talking about very specific actions. They will be helpful. But when I'm condemning, my words are vague. 
I'm not confronting you on your sin. I'm just you. All of you have a problem. You're, this whole thing you got going on, I don't like it. It leaves you insecure. You don't even know where to start. If I'm confronting you, I'm pointing to the gospel. And I leave you with hope. If I'm condemning you, I have a finger in your chest. And I'm pointing to your overwhelming sin. You have no hope. Okay? If I'm confronting you, my attitude is very forgiving. Arms open. Come back. But if I'm condemning, my attitude is unforgiving. And I put the scarlet letter on you. I can't believe you would ever. When I'm confronting you, my goal is restoration. It's repentance. It's to gain my brother back. But if I'm condemning you, my goal is I want to see you get what you deserve. Are you guys tracking? There is a difference between confronting me and condemning thing. It's one thing to point out my sin and to urge me to repent in love. If that's what you mean by judge, brothers, sisters, judge me, okay? Inspect my life. Hold me accountable. If there be anything in me that is not in accordance with the ways of Christ, I need to know because I have blind spots. Hello? I sin. Hello? And so I need you to judge me. But if you mean by judge, the second definition that you want to sit on the bench and pronounce judgment over me as if I answer to you and you are a perfect and holy judge. Jesus makes it clear, don't do that. Don't do that. I remember I was in college and, uh, you know, working hard in college or hardly working. But you're in college and I remember walking toward Academy Hall on a path right in the quad, right in center campus, you know. And I saw this girl coming and as I'm walking, she steps in front of me. She stops me. I can tell she's a little bit upset. And she goes, who do you think you are? You walk around here like you're all important and you think that you know everything. And blah, 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 blah. And you know what? And the Bible says to be humble. You have a lot of work to do. And she moved on. I'm just trying to get to the cafeteria for some ice cream, right? Was she confronting me or condemning me? Condemning, right? Was her desire to say, I love you and I want you to grow out of this for your good. Were her words specific, saying, hey, here's something you could work on. Here's a specific action I see. Here's a specific thing you said. Was she pointing to the hope of the gospel? Hey, Jesus can help you overcome this. No, her finger was in my chest. You bother me, and I don't like you, and I want you to know. That's never a position to be in, to confront someone. You leave them hopeless with an overwhelming sense of condemnation. If I leave this conversation more aware of my sin than I am of the gospel, you have not confronted me. You have condemned me. You understand, friends? And so, yes, we need to call each other back to the path of Christ. But our motives can be wrong. Our motives can say, I'm confronting you. I'm I'm not confronting your sin. I'm condemning your soul. And so Jesus makes it very clear. He says, don't do that. (laughs) Do not judge. Don't judge like that. Otherwise, you will be judged like that. If you approach others with an overly critical, harsh, unforgiving approach, then Jesus is saying, you will receive the same treatment. With the same measure of judgment and the same measure of grace that you dish up in the relationships around you. He's saying that's the measure that will be used to you. The same ingredient book that you're using in your relationships. He's saying you will receive the same treatment. 
We saw this a couple of weeks ago, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We don't get to withhold forgiveness. We don't get to be judgmental and critical with others and presume that God will be kind and gracious with us. And so Jesus says, check your heart. Check your heart. Are you talking to your brother? Are you talking to your sister? Because you want to win them back. You want to see them come back into the light, walking in obedience, walking in purity. Not because I want to bang the gavel and declare them guilty. So number one, check your heart. Check your heart. Do you know why you and I might be tempted to condemn and not confront? Do you know why people find themselves in a situation where they want to play the judge and condemn others? It's because they forget that they're just as much in need of grace as them. We forget that we are just as much a work in progress as them. And so Jesus shows us the second thing. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus got jokes. This is comedy. Like this is a laughable quote. He's not, what, he, he's chuckling. He's like, you think, you think that you could walk around with a two by four? Sticking out of your eye, right? And so here's a person who's walking around with a two-by-four, and they are clueless. You've heard of self-awareness? Not them. They are blind to their blind spots. They have no idea that they're just as much in need as you. And the best part is that they're walking around going, hey, sister, I know this is really embarrassing. you got a fuzz in your eye. Come here, let me get it for you. What? And so Jesus says to them, he goes, how can you walk around with the log sticking out of your eye and yet you're telling people that they have a problem? Sometimes it's easier to be more aware of other people's sin than it is our own. Especially when the thing that we're annoyed by is one of our issues too. Have you ever noticed the thing that frustrates you about others, it probably frustrates you because that's one of your weaknesses too. And so Jesus says, hey, that will not do. This is what we call being self-righteous. Self-righteous means this. It's the wrong belief that I am morally superior to you. The wrong belief that I am morally superior to you. Think of the older brother, right? Remember the prodigal son? He had an older brother. There was actually two lost sons, the wayward one and the self-righteous one. And the self-righteous one is like, I don't need grace and forgiveness. Why should he get any? Right? And the servants are just like ducking as he swings back and forth. Right? It's like, hey, I'm perfect. I have no problems. Why does he get a do-over? You see, if you are blind to your own sin, you will never confront but always condemn. If you are blind to your own sin, you will always condemn and never lovingly confront. And so, friends, not only do we need to check our hearts in preparation for these conversations, you also need to see yourself clearly. You need to see yourself clearly. 
Jesus says, before you approach someone else, before you approach your brothers, you need to first, this is steps, right? This is sequential. First, you have to take a good look in the mirror. First, you need to take an honest assessment. And remember, I too am a sinner in need of major grace. I too am someone who needed Jesus to die for me because I couldn't earn my own way. I too have blind spots and am in need of just as much grace and patience and transformation as this person. We come to them with an understanding to say, my sin may be different than yours, but it's no better than yours. First, see yourself clearly. And then... <laughs> With a, with a humble understanding of your own need, with a humble assessment of your own shortcomings, then you will be in a position, and only then, in a position to approach them in love, to confront them and not condemn them. You can't see others clearly until you see yourself clearly. Does that make sense? And so first, see yourself clearly. But notice, he says, first, and then, which means Jesus is still calling you, you still have a responsibility to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so an understanding, an awareness of my shortcomings does not absolve me of my responsibility to confront them. It's simply a prerequisite. Okay? Understanding where I sin and looking at myself in the mirror, that doesn't now disqualify me from speaking to you. It's simply a prerequisite. It comes first, and then we help each other. Then we go to the step we learned last week of lovingly bringing sin into the light and saying, I just want my brother back. I'm in this with you, bro. Girl, your sin may be different than mine, but I'm not immune to your sin. I am not morally superior to you. We both need the gospel. This will transform your relationships. This will transform, Jesus says, the way that you approach one another with those loving, confrontation, hard conversations. And so I think perhaps the best example of this was with parents. Parents, if you approach those sinful human beings that you have spawned, with an attitude that says, how could they be so stubborn? How could they possibly sin so much? How could they be so dense? How could they be so wayward? How could they be so deceitful? Ugh. Children are sinners. But if you parent them with a, in a way that says, but I'm not, you'll be a self-righteous parent. If you parent your children in a way that says, I can't believe you could ever do this. Who ever do Have you ever heard of it where a child You will be an unapproachable parent. But if you approach your parenting to go, you too? You'll be so much of a better parent. You'll realize that the sin that you are seeing is simply seed form of who you are. You'll remember that the transformation and the parenting and the construction zone that is such a mess in their little chest is just a small picture of what God is doing to you and that you are being parented by your heavenly father. And so whether you're parenting, whether you're spousing, or whether you're just confronting your friend, we must see ourselves clearly. So number one, check your heart. Number two, see yourself clearly. Number three, look at the last verse. 
He says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Friends, the final thing Jesus tells us this morning is that this conversation, keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. This is, this is a household thing. This, is a, this isn't us. This is an insider process. This is for those who belong in the home, in the family. All right, not everybody gets my house key. I don't even have my house key half the time, you know what I mean? But I don't use the one that's under the mat to the left of the, the door, you know, it's whatever. Keep it in the family. He says here, he, he references dogs and pigs. And so we look at that as like a derogatory. You dog, you pig. Well, in context, right, in, the, in Jerusalem, in, in Israel here, those were terms used to describe those outside the family. Okay? Yes, they became derogatory terms. Yes, people use them in a self-righteous way. But very practically, dogs don't sit at the dinner table. Pigs don't belong in the house. They, and some of you need to hear that. Dogs don't belong at the dinner table. I'm going to preach that next week, all right? Some of y'all lost your mind. Outside animals, dogs and pigs. And so he's saying, just in the way that dogs and pigs are outside of the household, we have to recognize there are people around us who are outside of the household. These are people who have different values. They have different ethics. They have different priorities. Friends, they have different gods. How many of you are in relationship with people who are not Christians and nor do they claim to be Christians? Hopefully all of us, right? This is like we're just real people. And so we have friends that are not claiming to follow our way. And if you're in relationship with them, you know, dude, they have different values. They have different goals for their life. They have different standards. They have different ways. They have a different culture. And that's all good and fine, okay? But here's the point. We are supposed to call out sin. We are supposed to confront people and bring them back onto the path, but not them. We're not talking about them, Jesus says. We are reserving this precious and godly feedback for God's people. We are reserving these loving conversations, these corrections for the family. So let's go back to our verse from last week, 1 Corinthians 5.12. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? What do I have to do with going to the supermarket and telling people their manners that don't belong to my household? What do I have to do with parenting other kids and teaching them the rules of my house when they don't live in my house? Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. We don't hold those outside of our faith community to the standard and lifestyle of our faith community. Okay? We don't police the world. We don't try to hold the whole world to a path that they never claim to want to follow in the first place. We've gotten to a lot of trouble in our country, right, historically. Think about back to the, to the days where alcohol was illegal, right, and to the days where people sh uh, frowned on you if you went to movie theaters and playing cards, right? fundamentalist Christianity. Think back. What was that whole movement? It was, it was the people of God trying to hold the not people of God to the standard of God. People who don't even have the Holy Spirit within them, let alone having their feet on the path to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, don't do it. For when you do it, you know what's going to happen? They will trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. He goes, do you go out to the pig pen and go, hey, babe, the pig, not your wife. Or, hey, babe, 
I got pearls for you. And you throw the pearls in. And they just stomp all over, right? The, the value of those pearls are lost to the pig. And he's saying it in the same way. The, the pearls of wisdom, the value of our standard, the wisdom of our way of life, to try to hold others to that, it will be lost on them. They won't treat them as the precious pearls of wisdom as they are. They will not understand or value or appreciate your concepts of sin, holiness, waywardness versus faithfulness, and they will likely attack you. They will express their frustration. They will tell you just how little they appreciate you sticking your values and your opinions in their business. And so best case, they'll respond with indifference. Worst case, they will attack you with hostility. Who cares if I treat people like that? Mind your business. That's not the way the world works. Nice try. What's wrong with porn? Why would anyone save themselves for marriage? Why shouldn't I talk like that? I'm not hurting anyone. This isn't a big deal. Where do you get off? Mind your business. And we come back to Jesus going, I tried. And he goes, I warned you. Keep it in the family. Our concepts of sin don't make sense to them. And so when you lovingly try to confront the world on sin, on your standards, Jesus says, don't do it. Keep it in the family. Because they won't follow your way because they don't follow our Lord. Make sense? And so remember, Jesus is answering this question. How do we confront sin in each other's lives? How do we go about in a healthy, biblical, wise way to call other people back onto the path? Well, number one, check your heart. Check your heart. Am I swinging the gavel in condemnation or am I waving them in in loving confrontation? Number two, see yourself clearly. Are you approaching them as a fellow sinner in need of grace or are you taking the high road and being self-righteous? And then number three, keep it in the family. Are they followers of Jesus? Do they claim to be? Well, then give them the benefit of the doubt. Treat them the way they claim to be treated or the, the way they claim to want to be treated. This, friends, is how we confront sin in each other's lives. So now, this is the second week in a row that we're talking about this, okay? Second week in a row. Why is this so important? Why does Jesus spend so much time teaching us how to engage in these mini rescue missions with our brothers and sisters. It's because of this. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Jesus has come to the world. And all of us, I don't care where you grew up. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account. I don't care if your grandpappy was a pastor in the whatever church. All of us are born sinful. All of us are born with spiritual gravity weighing on our souls, leading us away from Christ. And Jesus came filled with love and compassion and mercy, and he came to save us. He rescued us from the path that led to destruction by taking the death that we deserved, and he picked us up, and he adopted us into his family, and he puts us on the path, and now he rules and reigns as the king of this kingdom. Praise the Lord. And yet, and yet, even in his family, sin still tempts. 
desires still try to allure and entice us. And so King Jesus, who rescued us, is still on a rescue mission. And he is still saving us and rescuing us from the deceitfulness of sin. And he does it through you. Every time we engage on this mini rescue mission with each other, it is a reminder that he is rescuing us. We are reminding each other of the gospel. We are reminding each other that he who died for us will continue to save us. That we will persevere to the end through the grace of the relationships he's put in our life. And who by his grace will keep us until we're with him for all of eternity. So confront one another. Lovingly approach one another. Bring each other's faults into the light according to his ways, not our ways, so that we, friends, for the rest of eternity, will be singing in heaven together. Look what God has done. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much for your word. We thank you that your, your scriptures are just so practical, that there's just so much meat, Lord, here for how we can live our lives. And so we build our lives on you, Lord, so grateful of who you are, so grateful for what you've done. And Lord, I pray that you would make this an authentic community. That we would be a church that loves each other, Lord. That we love each other so much and so real. That we are in each other's stuff, Lord, to work with each other. Use us to sanctify me. Use us to sanctify each of my brothers and sisters, I pray. And may this be done in a way that is filled with humility, with love, with mercy, compassion, and wisdom. So that we can realize our ultimate goal which is to be transformed into the image of Christ. We love you, Father, and we bless your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.